Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Eat, Podcast. I am your host, the boy Anthony Jefferson, a.k.a. Bussiana LaBeja, a.k.a. your number one thought ally, a.k.a. the undisputed Bussy champion, a.k.a. the voice of the people's Bussy, a.k.a. a Bussy un- entangled. Um, actually, I'm untangled, but nonetheless, I'm here, I'm queer, I'm ready. Um, welcome to episode 319, entitled Bussy Affirmations. Um, we welcome you. We know it's been a while, Bussy High, but you know, we're going to finish this season out. We're going to get the girls ready. Um, and we're going to get to that second sphincter muscle. Um, although recently I heard there's a, do- a third hole, but I don't really want to know where the third hole is. And nonetheless, I'm going to introduce my lovely, beautiful, sexy, and talented co-host, Amron. Hey, y'all. What's up? Um... There's yeah, there's definitely three holes, right? No, I think there's just I've only known them two. I I mean, are they talking about like your mouth? But if your dick goes I don't want the dick to reach my mouth though. But don't you wanna go don't you want the dick to go inside? No, 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 baby. No, when I say three holes, like they Oh, they saying it will penetrate through all the holes. Yeah, in your ass. Like a like a tunnel. Yeah, exactly. So it's supposed, okay. be, it's supposed to be two holes in the anus, and you reach the second one. Oh damn! That's okay. All right. Well, what's up, y'all? It's your girl Amber, three hole mommy, um, aka the artist formerly known as emo black girl on Twitter, aka. Uh, any depressants because I will always say, aka, I'm still here. Corona ain't gonna take me the fuck down. Um, racism ain't gonna take me the fuck down. The police ain't gonna take me the fuck down. J. Cole and Tyler Quali ain't gonna take me the fuck down. <laughs> so I am still here. Um, that's all. Those are all my AKs. Y'all know, y'all know, I don't know my AKs like that. So, forget creative director of Depressed Ho Aesthetic. Oh, I love that one. Creative director of Depressed Ho Aesthetics. Even Mm -hmm. though I feel like, even I still am creative director, but Depressed Ho, I'm coming into, I'm more depressed uh, during coronavirus. No hoeing right now. Um, less and also not even that depressed, you know. Well, come shout on. out to shout out to Prozac for like not having me, um, like feeling like super horny all the time. Shout out to that. <laughs> shout out to low sex drives. Shout Amen. Right now, at least, right now, because it's I can't imagine. Being um, but yeah, COVID. I'm good. Yeah, COVID and a high sex drive. I'm praying for all of y'all. I'm praying. And please, y'all, like, wear a mask. Like, mask up shorty. That's what I am. Fuck this. Like, please wear a mask wherever you are. Even if you feel like your state doesn't have it. Even if you feel like you're inside. Even if you feel like someone is safe. Like, please wear a mask. Get tested. And stay outside. Because indoors is where... You know, Corona likes to live and frolic. Come on, come on, live and frolic. Do his dance. <laughs> he likes to do his dance, and we, I like to dance, and it's fun, but like, it's not worth it. 
question really quick i'm so sorry to go off topic we can also edit all this but did you see that party at compound in atlanta yes the one where they were fighting no the pool party yes i did see the pool party video i saw let me tell let me tell you something if i'm gonna risk my life i want to go to that party you know what i'm saying i'm like that shit looks fun as fuck like as fuck I, I need that in my life. At once is safe. Maybe not even. You know what? Let me stop. Let me stop. I need. You know what? <laughs> even though I just went on a rant. <laughs> if you want to risk, if you want to risk your life, go ahead. <laughs> uh huh. Any update that you would like to share with the Bussy Hive, Amber? No. Go I'm. On. You know. I'm out here. I don't have no updates. What about you? Anything? Uh, um, no, nothing really. No, I'm just taking it day by day, moment by moment. Any new, any new bus or any new dick? I mean, um, new dick in the bus. <laughs> um, yes. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yes. I am. Um. I am in um, maybe, I, I guess the best word to call it is pre-entanglement. Um, when you just get, I think pre-entanglement is when you just getting to know somebody. Oh, I thought you meant you were in a relationship with a married man. No, and... no, 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 Got it. Pre-entanglement means we are getting to know each other. There's a vibe. Got you, got you. That that we're both enjoying. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Come on, pre. Uh, pre-entanglement. We'll see if it gets to entanglement. Um, yes. No. But yeah, so I I took in another dig up the ass. Um, he actually listens to the podcast, so that'll be interesting. Um, hello, hello, sir. Hello. Um, <laughs> anyways, so um, so yeah, that's it. That on that one. Nice. Um, <laughs> all right. So we're just gonna go ahead and introduce our guests. Um, to those of you who may be new to the podcast, welcome to Eat, Pray, Thought once again, episode 319, entitled Bussy Affirmations. Our illustrious guest is a award-winning activist, writer, poet, counselor, yoga teacher, and community organizer who advocates for addressing mental and emotional health needs in the Black community. He is also the author of Dear Universe, Letters of Affirmation and Empowerment, and the founder and executive director of Being, which stands for Black Emotional and Mental Health and Mental Health Collective. Please welcome Bussy Hive. Please open your legs real wide and welcome Yolo Akili. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been introduced and offer people to open their legs real wide. That's, I'm about to add that to like, you know, my speakers, my speakers bio kind of requests when I do that. <laughs> Very important that you always let people know that they need to open real wide. Um, <laughs> okay. Sometimes not even just their legs, maybe their mouth. I don't know, you know, um, or their third hole. Who knows? Um, 
Nonetheless, Yolo, is there anything you would like the Bussy Hive to know about you? Any fun facts? Oh my goodness. Um, I know you have some questions for me. Um, nothing I can think of on the top of my head. I think you definitely named um some pieces about my professional life, but um I'm a Libra, so maybe that's helpful for people. Okay. Okay. No. Wait, what are your signs? I don't think I know your signs. Oh, I'm Scor- I'm a Scorpio diva. You're a Scorpio. Interesting. And and what are you, what's your sign? I'm a Leo. Oh, you're a Leo. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Leo and Scorpio. So Scorpio, interesting. I have a lot of Scorpio friends. I love you all dearly. I feel like you are the, the friends that you call on when you need to hide a body. You're very gifted. Correct. Yeah, you know. I have, I, it's, it's, just, it's interesting. I have a lot of Leo on my chart, but I don't have a lot of Leo friends. But whenever I meet Leos, I instantly fall in love with them. Y'all, y'all are very like to the point it's just kind of is what it is like there's not a lot of like um speculation wonder what's happening <laughs> i kind of appreciate that with leo you're like this is what's happening like you know sometimes with a scorpio it's a mystery you know you got to kind of got to kind of go in there and get some context clues you got to go to the you got to like start digging up some bodies before you find the truth leo's like no this is my crown <laughs> the bodies the bodies are not buried they are in gold caskets and they are laid upon you, shout, you out, shout out to the gold caskets shout out to the gold <laughs> so i i deeply have appreciation for both of leos and scorpios Much love. yeah love a libra i've dated libras they're not bad really that's good to know yeah. i mean I, def- I definitely as a libra I may have other things in my charts, but when I meet other Libras, I'm like, I don't know, girl. This this don't feel, this don't feel right. Like you all right? Like you know, I just be wondering, you okay, sis? So I definitely, um, I definitely understand people's challenges with Libras because I think Libras can be have their own have our own issues sometimes. You know, indecisiveness, mm. um, needing validation, external validation often. Um, what else? Y'all just sound like Leos on the air signs to me. That's- we have a lot of common with the Leos. We have common, but you know, I, but I feel like Leos are not indecisive. Leos are like, I oh want yeah, this and I need yeah. it now. Like, yeah. and, and I need you to be very clear that I need this now. And if I'm not, if I get this right now, I will flip the table. Like that's very Leo, right? Libra's like, do I need it? What do you need? Maybe you need this first, and I don't need. Maybe like it's, it's all that kind of like rigmarole world, yeah. you know. Emphasis on flip the table. Um, <laughs> are you a flipping table? Am is that is that your is that your prerogative? You be flipping. I would be flipping tables, but like I can, can? <laughs> if if it needs be. Yes, I so would flip the table. Have that capacity. You have table. I be, I think Leos are like this. I feel like Leos are chill until they're not. Like mm-hmm. that's just really it. One of my one of my friends who's a Leo always says that if you understand this about Leo, that we need to constantly either be fed, fucked, or what was the other one? Fed, fucked, and um, it's another F word. It's another F word. I can't remember what it was. But she was like, "This is the all you need to know is these things. Like you know, just feed us and make sure we have good sex, and we're good. And like you know, like everything else will fall into place." And I was like, "That's a very interesting." And I found that to be very true with Leos in my life. You know, that's that's actually real. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 valid. That's that's very very <laughs> you resonate with that? Yeah. I do. I have a video friend, so you do. Okay, okay. All right, so we'll just jump into Bussy Pep Talks, which is one reason Amber, myself, and the guests are proud of ourselves. Um, Amber, we will go with ladies first, and go ahead. <laughs> What's Ooh, your ladies first? Um, so I do like jump roping and stuff um and one thing that i'm proud of myself this week 
um, I have like a time jump rope and it's one of those jump ropes that isn't like if I time it at seven minutes, it's not like consecutive. Like even when I stop jumping rope, it will stop. So I technically like, it'll take me a long time to jump those seven minutes. And so when I first started jumping rope, it took me 30 minutes to complete a full seven minutes. Um, but now it takes me 11 minutes to complete a full seven minutes of jump rope. And I'm really proud of myself because I'm really like keeping this jump rope thing going. I like it. It's easy. It's fun. I just play music and I'm proud of myself for doing it. Yeah, I love that. Congratulations. That's dope. Thank you. Thank you. Jump rope mommy. Yes. <laughs> I remember Double Dutch always wanting to be the boy who to jump in, um, but never, but never, never, really good. <laughs> never really being that good. Like it was only like twenty seconds, but then twenty seconds <laughs> I was whooping it though. Like come on, come on. Um, <laughs> uh, my bussy pep talk for the week is um, I think for me I am just kind of leaning into. Um, the understanding and that um, I no longer want to live in New York and just kind of adjusting to that and as well as just understanding that I'm about to embark on a new chapter in my life. So I think that's been just accepting that and kind of surrendering to that. So that's my was a pep talk. Yes. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Where are you going? Where, 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 where are you going to go? Um, right now, I don't have like a solid idea. I know I'm going to probably um, go. Well, I'm not going to probably. I am going to go home to my father in Wisconsin um, and just stay with him for about six months and just collect these coins um, and just save up. But right now, I'm kind of, I'm just a toss up. But I'm looking like mainly southern states. Possibly Houston, um, oh, Houston. Miami. Houston. Uh, so, but I'm open, honestly. So we'll see. I'm using the six months that I'm going to be home with my father and my stepmom just to really kind of figure out some things and go through the process, I guess, of figuring out what's next. Nice. So, so Yolo, what is your bussy pep talk for the week? Nah. So wait, the pep talk is something I'm proud about of myself. Yeah, something you're proud of. Okay. I will say, and I don't, and let me know if I'm doing too much, but I will be honest. I think there's something I've been thinking about the last couple of days is um, I'm proud of taking responsibility for my choices, particularly my choices with uh, men or partners. Um, I'm in this place in my journey where I. Take responsibility, I'm taking responsibility for not the, not the men of the partners that I attract, but the men that I choose and how I continually choose them, um, despite information being provided to me about where they are, where they are and their own ability to be able to show up and support me in the way I need to be supported. Right. And so I think that's a really big shift for me because, you know, I think it's easy to stick in this place of this person did this, this person did that. But I think for me, where I'm at is like um, every day that I choose this person, even though when they show me information, it shows me where they are in their journey and what they have the capacity to do and what they don't have the capacity to do. 
if I'm making the choices to continue to engage them, then I'm responsible as well. You know what I mean? That I'm responsible for keeping this dynamic alive. I'm responsible for still choosing you when you show me that you don't know how to tell the truth. You know what I mean? And like, and I, I'm, I'm responsible for that. And then, and I think it's, and then I think I'm, so I'm proud of myself for that and it's on honoring that I am responsible for my heart first, you know, that it's my responsibility to take care of my heart. And if I move from that place, that means that um, I am not, um, I'm not fully like, you know what I mean? Like I'm always, I'm always a contributor to dynamic. Oops, sorry, well, I had to turn that off. <laughs> Can you say that part again? That I'm always a contributor to the dynamic, you know? And so I think that's just something that I'm just kind of like really sitting in and really proud of myself and being like, no, I chose these men, you know, like, and, I, and what, what was it within me that made me choose these men, you know, these partners, despite the information they were provided to me about where they were in their journey and what they could and could not do. Mm. 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 You said a word there. Mm. Mm. Well, I'm proud of you too. <laughs> yes, also proud of you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm proud of all of us. We're doing it. The trigger, but but proud. Oh no, oh, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. right, it's all right. Let's talk about it. Let's look, talk look, about look, look. I I don't. I just done chose wrong a lot of times. But you know what? I'm I'm taking responsibility for who I choose too. Mm. Amen. Yeah. And I think the piece about to make sure that because I think sometimes it's not to shame myself or anyone else, but it is to say that like, that what is it within me that makes me leads me to make the choices I make? Mm-hmm. What is it within me that leads me to dismiss things, to ignore things, to push past things, which are really just clearly and plainly evident about this person saying something about where they are? Because I believe people's behavior tells you the truth about what they really value. And so people can talk the game all day, but what the behavior does, the behavior says, this is where I really am. The talk says, this is where I want to be, you know? And so, like, you know, I think, I think that um, I've had to learn that in my own life, because sometimes you can meet someone who'd be really well-intended, but they really haven't gotten to the point where they've connected their behavior to their ideas. And we all have those gaps. Everybody has those gaps in different things. But sometimes for some of us, they're wider in certain areas. And we think they're, and we're like, you know, it's just like the simple thing with somebody. Somebody might know what you do when you get mad, but you don't think you do that. They'd be like, when you get mad, you start doing this. You're like, I don't do that. That's a gap, right? Some of us have gaps in other places. And I think it's just like, um, it's a fact that we have to do. So we are going to jump into it. You know, wait, 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 what's this, what's this energy? What's this energy I'm getting right now? So I'm seeing you looking like, well, all right, girl. Well, let me just like, what's going on? What's going you on? You know, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm just taking it all in. You know, I'm a, I'm a taker in her. Um, <laughs> a metaphor for my life. I take okay. in things. Um, okay. Okay. And sometimes I let them go out. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm learning to just process and then talk later. Okay. Listen, talk later. Okay. That's where I'm at. So yeah. I've also been asking myself some of the same questions, like why, why, why do I make the decisions that I do <clears throat> in terms of a lot of different things, mm-hmm. not just niggas, but some niggas. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's what you saw. That was that. That like, oh yeah, this is why I'm doing these things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So we'll jump into just how we normally do it. We go in order. For those new to the podcast, we go eat, pray, die. Um, 
you know, and, you know, we give you a meal first, then we get into the real heavy conversation, and then we fuck afterwards. Um, mm. Yeah, it's just very much, it's, it's just, that's the best way to think about it. It's like a date. Um, you eat, then you have a good conversation. And then you fuck. Now, everybody might not date like that, but, you know, that's generally what happens for me. Because um, <laughs> a, a, a lot of girls don't eat before they do the thing now. You, you know, know. <laughs> I, girls, um, I don't believe in starving myself before dick. Um, okay. All right. I believe that, you know, I'm going to eat and then I'm going to flee and do what I need to do. But I'm going to eat because I can't be on a date about the pain. And then, oh, not even knowing if this dick is worth worth it. I think that's the bigger thing. You know, a lot of times you gotta like, if I'm gonna starve myself, I gotta know it's worth it. I just don't. I I need, but so I need to experience it first. But nonetheless, I don't believe. I I'm, I'm glad. I'm deeply concerned about many of my colleagues and young folks and kids I know who starve themselves, and I'm just like, you know what? I'm gonna order these chicken wings and I'm gonna holler at y'all tomorrow. Like I don't know what to tell you, Pimpy. Like you know, what I mean? <laughs> like you know, <laughs> you gotta you just gotta eat, you know. And yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. But if you notice, we do keep the eat questions light. Very <laughs> so. so it's very it's like green, like you know. Come on, Amber. Point for me. Y'all are a mess. So you're not having no, you're not having a whole ham hocks. You're not going to ham yeah. hocks ribs. You're not doing that. Not yet. Not, not yet. yet. That's it. Light That's bite. Not, okay, light, light, light bite. So we're doing, we doing, we're doing tapas. We're doing almonds and tapas and like you know crackers and cheese and stuff like that. That's what we're doing. Okay, <laughs> that that makes sense. I understand. Yeah, nourish. We want to nourish. We don't want to like overfill the body. We just want to mm -hmm. nourish it. So it's it's smoothies, it's green smoothies. <laughs> Correct. Correct. I love it. You see where we going, y'all? Um, <laughs> I love it. So the first e question is: What did you order on your last first date? Mm. Hey, my last first date. Oh yeah, gotcha. I had two for me. I was like, what, what does that mean? Um, I actually had. Which is very, this is very unusual for me because I generally can get very, like, I'm pretty progressive on everything, but I get very uh, biblical when it comes to vegetables being posing as meat. And so like, I'm always like, I'm like, the Lord didn't intend for them geese to be no chicken sandwich. Like, you know, does I get real like that? But I did have this um, plant power, this place that I've actually fallen in love with, had this chicken sandwich, which was not chicken. And uh, it was really good, surprisingly, because most of the time I'm just like, no, girl, that's not what God, God did not intend the vegetables to be a chicken sandwich. Okay, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> but it was really good. And um, it was a, like, it's a place called Plant Power Food Truck. And um, it was super yummy. And um, so it's changed my mind on my perspective. I'm, I'm evolving. Okay, come on. And my, my, my non-meat, meat wannabe stuff, you know, all that good stuff. You are changing. Did the day go well as well? Yes, it did, it did. Okay, come on, come on, smile. Um. <laughs> That was a good smile. Oh, that was a good. That was a good day. Uh, <laughs> okay, one dish or food you associate with the summer? Watermelon. Oh. Yeah, I definitely watermelon summer because, like, I grew up with my grandmother getting a big watermelon in the summertime and like slicing it up and giving it to all of us, and that's running around making mess and like you know shirts all seeds and all that kind of mess. So I definitely associate that with summertime. It's like a really fond memory. 
Um, and I try to go get me some watermelon, like when it turns summer, I try to make me a watermelon salad. You know, I'll be trying to live right, you know, so. Come on, watermelon salad. That's fancy. <laughs> I ain't never had. I, I think I've tried to have a watermelon salad, and, and I was like, this ain't for me. But I do like watermelon. <laughs> Amber, do you like watermelon? No. Okay, I thought, I thought to say, I feel like we had this discussion before where you said you didn't I, like. I kept, it, I kept it quiet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know y'all love the watermelon. Um, you have strong feelings about not liking watermelon, Amber? You know, I think uh, Kid Fury said it best. It tastes like cold spit. Um, and so uh, I'm okay on the watermelon. But I like other fruits. What's your, what's your favorite fruit, Amber? Probably mango. I love mangoes. Mm. Pineapples. I like citrusy fruits. Okay. 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 Fruits with a lot of flavor, you know. So you, what's your watermelon does have lots of flavor, in my opinion. That's all I'm gonna say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I bet you got real excited, like, um, not so much. Um, my favorite fruit would probably be watermelon and cherries. Oh, Ooh, cherries are so good. Cherries, like it's cherries a, Cherries are fine. I cherries are so good, but you know what's funny? Like, you know, I remember being young and like, you know, I was drinking cherry Kool-Aid and sodas and I'm the first time I had cherries. And I, I think it was like probably like seven or something. And I was like, this isn't cherry. This is <laughs> like, like my mom and dad being like, no, these are real cherries. <laughs> like what you're used to drinking is not cherry. That's not the same flavor. Because I was like, this is, what is this flavor? This is not the real thing. I just remember that's like a funny childhood memory about cherries and stuff. Yeah, that, that they really never does because i think when i think of cherries i always get when i'm in new orleans or houston when i get snowballs i always get cherry and watermelon flavor mixed it don't necessarily taste like either one of those but it'd be good as fuck yeah, dude, whatever whatever's in that syrup that corn syrup yeah i enjoy <laughs> it's, just, it's just it's just red that's the flavor you know, like light red like you know I remember um, I went, I was in Harlem not too long ago. Um, what's the place? I think it closed now, but it used to be a fish place on like 130 uh, um, Maybe um, I can't think of what it's called, but um, they had, they had, they had, a, they have Kool-Aid they served there. And, um, and I went there, I we was there with some friends and I was like, what flavor, you know, what flavor Kool-Aids do you have? And the lady, she says red and we bust out laughing, right? She doesn't crack a smile. She didn't grin. <laughs> just like, and, like these are the flavors we have. So we want red, and we were like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> so red is a legitimate flavor in the black community. We got to respect that. Exactly. If the flavor is red. Um, all right. So, what was your favorite place to eat while attending Georgia State University? Oh Lord, y'all don't went in my past, Lord. <laughs> Lord Jesus, <laughs> y'all, what are you? I'm scared. What you gonna pull up now? So when you did that film and Jordan said, "Ah, Jesus, Lord, <laughs> to me, not to me," like I'm, I'm pulling up Olivia Pope stuff. Um, at Georgia State, um, Georgia State. So honestly, my favorite place was Zaxby's. I still miss Zaxby's. I live in LA. Oh. I don't know. I don't know if y'all know Zaxby's. The way you know it. So I used to get my chicken, my wings and things combo with the chicken fingers and the tongue torch wings. And I would get my Fanta cherry, cherry soda. I sure would. 
when my french fries and my zach sauce oh i miss it so much every time i'm in the south i try to get it but that was my joint that was my jam that in this place called chinese buddha which um used to sell um they had 24-hour spot and it was um they just had all there. so that was the I, spot when we was in college yeah Damn, you took me back. Sorry, I just thought about it. Chinese food. No, no way, Amber, you lived in Atlanta for a while? Yeah, I went to Spelman and oh. mm -hmm, and then I like my parents. I didn't know I was in the presence of royalty. I'll have to forgive you. You know, I mean, the Leo <laughs> vibe should have given it to you, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. Yeah, no, I, I was living down there for a minute and my parents have a house out there. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, Chinese Buddha was the spot. Um, Landmark Diner, which used to be over there by Georgia State. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, late night spots when you're just up in the streets and you're just young and in college, you know what I mean? Like that was that was the jam, you know? It really was. Mm-hmm. Those are my spots. Okay. Oh, sorry. ATL shot. Sorry. Go ahead. So what's happening? ATL shot. ATL. First of all, this I like. It's always a fire or something. <laughs> always dying. Like I just. Oh, that's not funny. I mean, I don't know if they actually dying. I just assume oh. they, they probably alive. Um, <laughs> So they alive, man. Hey, let me just say that. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. There's always like a fire or some bullshit by me, and there's always a fire truck. Um, Got you. Wait, so wait, are you. Are you in Brooklyn? Are you in Harlem, Queens? Where I'm you in at? Brooklyn. I, I'm a I'm Brooklyn gay. Um, oh, excuse me. Yes, yes. Um, you know, we're very different from the Harlem gays. You are, you know, I was a Harlem gay for several years. Okay. And I started I off as a Brooklyn gay. I started off as a Brooklyn gay. And I told all my Brooklyn fans when I moved to Harlem, I said, I'm not going to become a Harlem gay. Uh -huh. And then, you know, randomly on Sunday mornings, they'd be like, we're having brunch. It's some, some like, nigga, Bed-Stuy is three hours away on this train. <laughs> you know what I mean? So then I quickly became a Harlem gay because I was like, I love y'all. I love y'all, but I'm gonna need a two week notice before I get on this A train on a Sunday to come see y'all. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know. <laughs> That's all we ask. But question for you though, um, what are what's the difference between a Brooklyn gay and a Harlem gay? For for the oh folks that don't gosh. live in New York. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. You'll get me in trouble. I'm have, I can't I hope nobody I know <laughs> listens to me like, oh, you was on there talking shit. You was on that talking shit, wasn't you? Um this is one thing I will say, and, I, and, I, and even though I love Harlem, I do feel like there's some ways I'm not, I'm kind of, I feel like in the middle of the bullshit when we don't want to commit to something. But um, I feel like the Brooklyn gays, you know, the Brooklyn gays are very, um, I don't fight, I don't argue, I just hit that bit. Like, you know, that's very Brooklyn gay. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Okay. Um, um, I was going to say something different, but you know, that's, <laughs> that is a good example. Like, uh -huh. very bad. Very banji central, very banji, you know, I would say it's very like you know, banji brilliance. I would say it's very Brooklyn. Okay. okay. Harlem is oh god, the Harlem gays, and I and I and I love some of them, but I definitely struggle with them. The Harlem gays are more you like, like can I just jump in real quick what a Harlem gay is? Oh, you you gonna tell tell us. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Tell the shade. Um, you know, they they um you know they most likely went to a HBCU. They have a good job. Mm. Um, um, they might be in a, fr a fraternity. Um, Hard to get nauseous. 
<laughs> I know. Um, I was like, wait. I was. I'm like bracing myself. Uh, um, you know, I'm they, closing you, all my holes. They, um, they, they usually, I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> they, you know, they usually, um, you know, um, they they moved to Harlem because all the other Harlem gays before them had told them this is where you want to be. Um, but they ain't shit usually, you know. That's the defining characteristic of a Harlem gay. They ain't shit, but it's like an uppity ain't shit. It's like there it is. A bougie ain't shit. There it is. I would say the difference between Brooklyn is like Brooklyn is banshee, Harlem is bougie aspirational. And I feel like the Harlem gays be really trying hard. And I'd be like, girl, don't you're doing a lot. It's a lot of performance. You know, like it's a lot of like hotty tottiness, you know, whereas like, you know, when you go to Brooklyn, like niggas like this is what it is a thing is a thing like you know like you know it's very a different vibration and it, and it can be very difficult to manage i, I struggled with moving to harlem initially i struggled because i because i feel like my nose wasn't high enough in the air to kind of kick it with folks for a minute i was like am i not you know what i mean i just wasn't like that girl like in that way you know mm -hmm. um so i completely get it it's absolutely true um harlem and i think harlem's always like we're in manhattan so you know we're not like brooklyn gays it's like oh my god i can't with you girls like it's just too much it's too much it's very much like let me pay for brunch even though i ain't really got it yeah <gasps> let me let me pay for brunch because i just transferred this 20 dollars from this account to cover that yeah whereas brooklyn is very so i'm gonna split this receipt and i'm gonna show y'all we're gonna zoom in a you you owe twenty twenty dollars and thirty two cents. Exactly. You Put know this shit on the tab. Okay. Exactly. You know. But shout out to Harlem Gays. We appreciate y'all for listening regularly. Um, <laughs> You're gonna lose your Harlem gay audience. Look at that. You have this Yes, yes. It's important that you know that while you ain't shit, we still love oh, you. Oh no. Your lives still matter. Um, let, let me ease that. I feel like you know we want to encourage you if you if you feel like your behaviors reflect ain't shitness that you too can like work through that and come to a place of non shittiness. Exactly. Non bourgeois bourgeois want to Yes, y'all. We yeah. believe in you. Okay. Now, the banjo girls and the banjo girls. Hello, are both in you. I don't believe in you, but nonetheless, I believe. Oh, no. <laughs> I believe y'all. Who believes in who? <laughs> so wait, so wait, so wait. Is is, is 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 you don't date people who live in Harlem? You don't date people from Harlem? No, I've dated. Um, have I dated Harlem? I'm really trying to think. Wow. Wow. Okay. Oh, I, don't, I don't think I have. They either oh. I've dated men from the Bronx. Okay. And I've dated Brooklyn niggas. Mm -hmm. I've dated the Queens, man. Well, I dated a Long Island dude, so that's kind of close. That's kind of the same. Yeah, yeah. Um Long Island is They like didn't that. live in Brooklyn. Like the last one guy I dated, he started off in Brooklyn and moved to Harlem, but we broke up before he but we ended our um, our pre entanglement before he got to Harlem. Was that like a guess the prenup for you? You were like, you going where? No, 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 no. It was just more or less, you know. Um, for me, I just that was a whole nother issue. But we just weren't a match. Right. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. well, moving to Harlem. Now, Amber, I'm not, I didn't ask. Like, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I'm just curious. Like, when you who people you date? Do you date women, men? How do you identify? I want to make sure I know that. I identify as straight. Very straight. Okay, so, do you, so 
are you is, have you dated men in Harlem and Brooklyn and do you have uh, okay Harlem I can't rem- oh I tried to date one Harlem dude but he went to Morehouse I think the Morehouse part was like the issue um more than the Harlem thing um but that never worked out I've dated a lot of Brooklyn dudes because I'm in Brooklyn and I would not travel at all like I feel like if I have to travel more than 10 minutes to see you it's just too much like we should be in like a 10 minute radius. And now with COVID, it needs to be a 10 minute walking distance. So, um, but Harlem, yeah, I'm not opposed to Harlem men. I think, I think there is a difference. Like I've noticed that like Brooklyn dudes are a lot more like creative. Like they usually have more creative jobs. They might like, you know, work in like marketing or have, you know, be a writer or something like that in Harlem the guys are more so like I am a lawyer or I, you know, like I have a corporate job. Um, So that's a little bit different for me. Um, But I've never, yeah. It's so interesting how those themes, because what you're describing are really kind of like historical realities of the cultures of Harlem and Brooklyn, right? So you think about Mm -hmm. the Harlem Renaissance and kind of like the Black bourgeoisie who really did take up Harlem and establish like, you know, and kind of like the uppity Negroes, the talented 10th kind of bullshit, right? And so you Mm -hmm. see that that theme still really kind of present in the ways in which Harlem folks still move and operate and think of themselves. So it's interesting to think about that in a historical context too, you know? Mm-hmm. And even like, I mean, and then this isn't like super like far away, but I will say that um, when you look at like Fort Greene and like Prospect Heights and a lot of like that Brooklyn creative, black creative crew that comes from it, like uh, the Chris Rocks and uh, Questloves and all of them that have lived here. Um, I think that also is a reason why a lot of like black creatives come to Brooklyn specifically. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Come on, historical context. Okay, it was like it was like why why you ain't shit historical context. Okay, (laughs) let's give you some context as to why you still ain't shit. (laughs) Did you want to be most deaf? Um, living in Fort Greene. Oh wow. Okay. Well, all them cheering. All them cheering. All right. Yolo, you are a resident of LA. So, what's one restaurant that everyone loves or enjoys, but you can't stand in LA? You are not gonna get me get my. First of all, you're not gonna have me out in these streets. Get no, drunk. it's talking about what restaurant in LA that I don't think is. I, I saw this question. I was like, is he is he providing protection? Does he know the people I wrote? Nope, you're not gonna have me out. It's fine. It's fine. Nope, you're not gonna have me in these streets. But this is one thing I will say about Southern, about. Black people in California, I think it's a really important thing that I want Black people in California to come to grips with. You know, I, my family's from deep Georgia, you know, Florida people. There are things that Black Californians have come to name Southern food um, that many from my family, my auntie, Gussie, my, they would have questions you know, about the legitimacy of this cuisine as as Southern Black food. You know, I have been to gatherings with Black families who left from California and had to really make sure I kept my, my myself shut when I saw Black beans in the condiment. And I was like, oh, this is okay. Black beans where? 
in the car. Yes. And so you so you can imagine my what you just did. I'm at somebody's house and I'm just like, oh, we can't. You want, you want some greens? Okay. And I'm just looking at the plate like, oh, dear God in Christ, what's happening? <laughs> so there is a disconnect, you know? And so I will say that it's very difficult to find like soul food in the tradition of deep Southern people here in Los Angeles, you know? So I, that's what I will say. But I ain't calling out on the restaurants because I know people own restaurants and I ain't trying to be part of that situation. Okay. <laughs> okay. But I felt every word. I felt, felt every word. I mean, can you, did you, did you, did you feel my spirit when I saw the black beans and the collard greens? Did you feel it? I, I, I was my trying to picture it. I thought you misspoke, actually. I, <laughs> <laughs> I said, what? Ooh. A lot of black beans. Like, <laughs> does it matter? Does it matter? There was a black know, bean. I mean, it, it kind of does. I just want to know, like, was it a little black bean? Was it a lot of black bean? Was it like what? What exactly was the black bean like ratio? I don't know. I didn't do a thorough investigation because I was okay. so triggered and activated. You know, okay. everything that I'd known as a black person came to question in that moment. Okay. My identity. You know, mm-hmm. my culture, mm-hmm. it was hard. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm just going to say it. And I know people have told me that it depends on which Roscoe's you go to. Oh, see, here you go. Okay, go ahead. Come but on. I play my experience going to the Roscoe's in Hollywood oh, yeah. was that it was a um, toaster oven waffle. It was very much like we popped it in the toaster oven. And popped it right back out. Ego? It was very ego. Let go my ego. Um, and the chicken, the chicken actually, she was a, she was a cute girl, mm-hmm. but cute next to gorgeous. You know, gorgeous is gonna devour cute, and that's all. Um, and I just, but I've been told that you got to go to different Roscoe's, and that I went to the wrong Roscoe. So I do want to put that out there. L.A. residents were very clear that, like, I went to the one in Hollywood. I need to go to the one in, um, that, is there one in Compton? But in Inglewood, I think. Yes, Inglewood. So that's what I was told, and I still haven't gone to the one in Inglewood, so I will give it, you know. I've been to both. It definitely is a different experience. Hollywood is not, you know, Hollywood is for tourists. It is for the white folks and the black folks who just want to come see the little stars, you know. But if you want to come to the authentic experience, you definitely have to go to the original Roscoe. So I agree with that piece. Um, it's definitely still, you know, it's it's California black folks. That's really, it's really, um, I want to hold a space for them to, 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 to have that for themselves. You know, I just want to make some differentiations upon like, you know, where I come from and my people, you know, but I think that we can all exist. We can coexist as long as we know our boundaries and accept our limitations. Okay. And it's important that we accept our limitations. Um, Your unit, everybody can't take 10 inches. You might just have to take seven or eight. Um, Nonetheless, Um, 
limitations. I was just trying to make it a food reference, make it a dick reference to help help the listeners. Um, I appreciate literacy is important. Amen. Um, proper understanding. Um, so, last e question: As a proud uncle, what is your nephew's favorite snack? Which, by the way, I love your nephew. He's so cute whenever you post it. Oh yeah. So my nephew and my niece are both really young, and they both are like food. Food, food is changing so much. Like right. But my nephew definitely loves apples. Okay. Um, he's not a sweet person. He's getting better with eating sweets because I'm a sweet person. He's not like a like cake, and he's like, Ooh, we don't, we don't want that kind of stuff. Um, he also loves sweet potatoes. And Marley, who is now teething, she just wants anything that's hard. Like, I, like you know, anything that she can like, I'm, you know, how the baby's teething. She's just like, so it does. As long as it's solid, you like, you know, what I mean, that's all that matters. <laughs> But yeah, that's um, that's those two. Those those two are my favorite in my heart. I love those two. Oh, shout out to them. Yeah, I love Molly them. Miles. I love, I love their names. I know, right? It's so funny. Like that was so not intentional, but it just came out. They both have musician names too, which is so interesting. Bob Marley, Miles, you know, Davis is so interesting. Are y'all gonna put out an album? <laughs> oh. Be the, the male female version of Chloe and Holly. Um, okay. <laughs> child to Ungodly Howard. Um, Busy Boy is my song. Really? I love Ungodly so Howard. I'm so surprised. All right. So, jump into pray. As always, we start pray the same way every time. Yolo, what is your passion? My passion is, I mean, I have a couple of different passions, right? Um, I think I'm really passionate about supporting wellness of Black people and creating wellness for Black people, particularly through joy and, and, and fun and liberation. I'm very passionate about that. I'm passionate about art and music. And I'm, I'm passionate about like reimagining the world as we know it um, so that it can really offer us as much of a vision of a healing-centered, joy-centered, liberation-centered life. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really excited and passionate about what's possible. You know, I love that. That's beautiful. Um, all right. So, since you brought it up, actually, of the the healing, what is your definition of healing? Mm, good question. I appreciate you asking this question because a lot of times, um. I feel like there's a really this moment now where everybody's like, you need to heal, you need to go to therapy. You know, it's a little bit of a shaming kind of going on for folks. People are using it to shame people. Um, I think about healing as a journey, first of all, an ongoing practice of developing a relationship to your emotional self um, that centers tenderness, that centers um, wholeness, and that centers liberation, right? And I think about that. And I, I think about healing not being linear, you know, like, like you know, it's a, it's just like you, you come back around to some things, you revisit things. You know, it's not like, you know, a, this mountain climb top, you know, mountain to climb to the mountain top. I think it's just really about a journey and a practice, too, you know. Um, and, it's, and it's not about becoming whole because I don't believe people are broken. I think it's really important when we talk about wholeness that we understand that brokenness is never our reality. What we're trying, it, it is our perception that we are broken that is what needs to be addressed, right? We are always whole. But what trauma does is it makes us believe that we are not whole. That is how trauma and oppression work. It says you are fractured, you are not enough, you are inadequate. That is a lie. 
the reality is wholeness and adequacy is always our state. And I think that um, that's important when we talk about healing um, as a framework and, uh, and to like to know that um, to understand those things that is really critical. And our last thing I will say about healing, I, I say as well, is that um, healing is about changing your relationship to a wound so that so that so it doesn't hinder you in the present moment. So, for example, I don't believe our wounds ever go away. I have scars on my arm. I have scars on my legs. The wounds don't go away. But with emotional wounds, what happens if we begin to work with them, if we process them, if we let the feelings out, if we, like, you know, move through them, the wound becomes less charged over time, right? So it doesn't go away. It's just my relationship to it is different. My relationship to it is not as charged. It doesn't, it doesn't hinder my vision. It doesn't distort my perceptions the way um, a wound can when a wound is not dealt with. And all of us, of course, have those experiences where we realize this wound is completely distorted how I'm looking at things. It's, 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 cre it's helped me cultivate a story in my head that is not representative of the full roundness of what's really happening in the world, you know? And I think that's the way oppression and trauma and, um, and this idea of brokenness often, often function. We'd like to thank you for that word. Um, important that you know we, we thank you for your work i'm looking at y'all faces i was like i'm not saying something okay because y'all looking like what i don't know I was oh no i was i was listening and also like i'm probably going to write down somewhere that like you are not broken it's like our perception of being broken is the issue like we are always whole um, and I think that that's just like worth repeating or worth bearing, especially like during this time of like, just with Corona, with uh, the uprisings, with just every single thing that's happening, uh, where, you know, life is a lot more uncertain. Um, so I think that that's just like a really important takeaway, but going back to like, just life being uncertain, um, I think in quarantine, we've all kind of been able to like deal with like a lot of different emotions and, you know, we've had to like challenge our own emotions. Um, what are some like emotional discoveries that you have uncovered and how have you been working through them during this time? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, the question, that question, um, there have been some emotional discoveries I've been, I've been doing a uh, learning through my work and through also my personal pieces. Right. So I talked earlier about really just taking responsibility for my choices and feeling really empowered that I have the opportunity to choose and say no, you know, that like, I like, you know, I think about this quote from Madonna, she says, creation comes when you learn to say no. And I think about all the experiences that I never said no to, I just assumed they were just what I had to deal with as opposed to like, no, I don't have that. I've also learned how not to allow my loneliness to lead me into, um, to lead me into, disbelieving my my internal compass and my gut, right? The thing that was happening is what happens. It's like our gut and our heart see something and then but the loneliness wants you to kind of rationalize it away, you know? And then you and then I end up putting my heart or my spirit or my trust into some someone's hands who has evidently filled the and hold it, right? So I think that's a big piece for me to do. The last piece I will say is that our Something I always hold and like walk through is that um, you know, people always kind of have to go on back and forth with this conversation about enough or not enough, right? Which I feel like it's like a circle we can go into forever. Because, but when we really unpack it, when I unpack it, I find that like this not enoughness is really built in this idea of inadequacy that I am inadequate, 
that some folks are inadequate. And I think it's something different to say that something different between saying um, I am inadequate versus saying I need to learn new behaviors. I need to make different choices. I need to learn new ideas. That's different from inadequacy, right? Like the core of me, I think about it as a spiritual person, core of, I all, core of all people is spirit, our life, our energy, our God, however you want to name it. That is never inadequate. Um, our behaviors may be inadequate. Our choices may reflect that. But I am not my behaviors, ideas, and choices. I am responsible for them. Core of who I am is always worthy. Um, what my work is, is to align that belief and understanding of my worthiness with my behaviors, ideas, and choices. And, and, like, and, if, I, and if I move into that place, um, then I can choose choices or make choices that honor that worthiness as opposed to like that sense of me being inadequate or not enough. And thanks for that word. Uh, we appreciate you. <laughs> um, so, what made you found Beam, and what would you say are some of the most important goals of the collective? You know, Beam comes out of a couple of different things, right? I've lived my life for the last 15, almost 20 years now, working in public health. And my drive, I didn't really realize like two years ago that my drive to be in public health, particularly around HIV, around mental health, around intimate partner violence, was really me trying to work out some of the things I experienced in my early childhood and life, you know, from the communities I was a part of, right? Whether it was witnessing, um, Black women in my family experienced assault and violence at a very young age, right? Um, whether it was um, my relatives who were living with HIV in a way in which they were stigmatized and treated, right? And so I realized, I started to recognize that, that was a big driver for my desire to know there could be a different way of being and relating to folks, you know there could be a different way. And I think I definitely saw, I think that was a big pull for me to be in public health. It was like, I wanna help make something different. You know what I mean? And so Beam really comes out of that hope and that vision that um, if we have different tools and skills, if we have different ways of thinking of things, different frames, access to different resources, then we can craft something different for the experiences of all our communities. And that's really at the heart and core of what Beam is. It's like we don't sometimes the things are there, but we don't have them, you know, or sometimes things are there and they're, they're just kept away, locked away in the academy. How do we make them accessible? How do we get them to the folks um, is really the core of being is because I, I do believe that our communities can be, um, our communities have healing resources and tools, and I, and I, and what we have to really center them. And I think that's a really big part of what Beam's work is for me and what drives me to do the work, you know? Hmm. Um, can you explain to folks what Beam is? Like, yeah. first? So BEAM stands for the Black Emotional and Mental Health Collective. And um, BEAM is a national training, movement building, and grant making institution dedicated to the healing, wellness, and liberation of Black and marginalized communities. We have three different buckets of our work. Um, first one is training. Um, so our training is, our training work is really situated um, in the idea that as Black folks, the back, the first, the first um, place we go to when it comes to um, accessing emotional health care and healing is not necessarily a psychiatrist or a therapist, right? It's often the pastor, the barber, um, your cousin, big mama, parents, teachers, coaches, etc. <laughs> so 
we recognized, recognizing that, we were like, well, do these folks have tools and skills to, to show up and support folks in ways that are useful? And sometimes they did, and sometimes they did not. And sometimes those folks were barriers to mental health care. Sometimes we have examples of families where, where families kept folks from getting access to medication they needed for living with bipolar because they didn't believe in medication, right? And so we recognize that if we, so we, we focus our training resources really on training and educating folks, um, everyday quote unquote folks who are not necessarily mental health professionals, understand that if we have better skills and tools, we can create a wraparound community of wellness, not just where some of that knowledge is kind of isolated in certain corners, right? And so that's a really big part of why we create, we do so much visible graphics and like, you know, we do workshops that are open to the public from meditation to anxiety management with our therapists. We really want to make it more available because most people can't afford $100 copay, uh, even if they have insurance. And they might not even have insurance, which a lot of us don't. And that's the part of how the system is designed not to support our wellness, because it's designed to support the wellness of, of, of either middle class people, but historically middle class, upper middle class white people, right? Um, so yeah, so that's the big part of the beam. So training is one piece. We do we do um we do grant resources. We offer grants to smaller collectives and organizations who do healing work. Like um in Memphis, Tennessee, we support Meyer Peak Wellness, group of Black women who are doulas who do doula education and wellness support for Black women who otherwise might not have experience or the income to get a doula because a doula is a privilege. You know, what I mean that that is expensive. There are a lot of Black women who would benefit from having an advocate in their in their process. We don't have that. And that's a part of our mental health and wellness, right? And so and then in addition to that, we also work with um, a coalition of different organizations across the country, um, really trying to craft out a black mental health policy agenda and vision that can be that can be implemented on a state, local, and federal level. Um, is a lot of our work. So so yeah, that's how we're nothing big, just little things, you know. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. Nothing yeah. big? Yeah. Huh? You out here healing, folks. What? You healing our community. Do not say that. We try. We're doing it. We're all healing it. And the community's healing me, too. It's definitely a collaborative effort, you know? Yeah. Believe it. But yeah, we're trying. I definitely feel that. So, I mean, I imagine your work, it can be, like, very, very taxing at times. What ways do you take time for yourself? Like, what do you do to take time for yourself? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, the quarantine has really been interesting because I've been really good at my, my, my self-care practice some days and really bad, you know? Like, you know, some days it's just like I've fallen off, like weeks I've fallen off, to be honest with you. And, but the practices I have to keep me grounded, like, so one that's really probably the most consistent I'm with is I have my altar. And, uh, you know, on my altar I have, like, you know, my flowers, my water, I have my crystals, like, you know, pictures. And um, I will light a candle and some incense every morning before I begin my day. And I will take a moment to meditate and give and just kind of reflect on what I'm feeling, what's coming up for me right now. What am I feeling in my body? What am I feeling in my heart? What's on my heart? What was the first thing in my head when I woke up? Woke up. What do I need to do today? And doing that practice, um, as well as I'll, put, I'll pull a card, like I, I have tarot cards and affirmation cards, I'll pull on a card and see what it says, what it, what it offers me. And that is a really good grounding practice because it makes me kind of like start my day with a prayer, a meditation, uh, like, okay, what are you going to do? So that's really critical for me. I also, um, you know, have a Reiki teacher, a Reiki practitioner who does Reiki with me. Um, Wesley and Tanai Holder, a black couple, they own a place out here in Long Beach. They're amazing. Um, I do my yoga, I work out, do a lot of boxing because that helps me with endorphins with my own kind of struggles with depression and pieces, right? 
Um, so those things are some of the things too. We're just trying to get sleep and like water and eating, you know, and processing. Like, you know, I have a therapist to try to process what I'm experiencing because when you're holding a container for a lot of other folks, it can be easy to neglect your own container. Your own and I have to, a part of what we do at Beam, we talk a lot about this, is um, we have a tendency in um, American culture to do something called martyr nurturing. And martyr nurturing is a caring style. Um, it's a caring style that centers the denial and minimization of self as a strategy to support and sometimes control other people. So we'll talk about, <laughs> so like, it's, 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 so, you know, it's just like the term sounds, right? Like, it's like I martyr myself. So I literally take myself out to take care of other people. And I think that that's commendable and something to be celebrated when it actually facilitates not only unwellness for myself, but it models to other people that that is the only strategy that we can have, which makes our movements for wellness in our communities unwell. And it's really deeply rooted in massage noir, I would say, because Black women are encouraged to do that, I would say. And um, I think that a lot of us who do healing professions, we learn that from watching Black women who are condemned if you don't do that. You know what I mean? Black women are said, you must sacrifice your well-being and your health for Black men, for non-binary people, for your children, for whoever. And if you don't do that, then your womanhood is a, a, a suspect. And that is why, you know, a part of Eden's work is so critical about challenging the sexism and misogyny in our communities, which really is the undercurrent of so much unwellness, because it shows up in creating unwellness in Black women somatically, psychologically, because we are, we're, we're so accustomed to exploiting the emotional labor of Black women. I would say the same thing for Black queer men and gay men and non-binary folks too. It's just like when I talk to so many Black queer men, I say, who do you go to to help you process your emotions? It's often women. It's not necessarily each other because there's still a distrust of maleness or of you know male embodied people, male projected people. And so I find that like Black women are still holding all the emotional labor for so many folks, in order for our communities to really change, that has to shift. And so men and non-binary people have to start taking responsibility for their shit and also doing the emotional work with each other um, without um, depending, the codependent model of that black women have to process this for me or through them. Yeah. Ooh. I didn't know, I, I mean, I knew you were gonna like speak a bunch of words like, for each question, but I mean, I just didn't realize it. Like every single question, it was just gonna be like <laughs> one sermon after the other. You I'm know, sorry, I man. wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. You want some water? <laughs> you need some water? I I went. I got a. I got a sip of water. I had to go. I had to. <laughs> I had to do that. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Um, I'm, I'm hoping it's not too much. I'm just, you know, I can't, I can't get stuff. It's definitely not too much. I think, <laughs> I think, I guess one of the reasons why we're not, I guess we're just kind of listening and processing uh, like what you're saying. Um, I know it kind of may feel a little bit weird because we're like asking questions and you answer and you ask questions and you answer, but it's more so like you're saying you're saying such important things. Like, I don't even know, like, what else can I say to that besides period? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, <laughs> like you, you are the expert here. This is why we have you on and we want to hear like what you have to say when it comes to healing, when it comes to uh, the healing in like black communities, when it comes to black queer people, black non-binary people, like, this is just important. It's important. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, feel free to rate me in if I do too much, but I appreciate that. <laughs> trust, trust, you're getting all that you deserve. So going back to the idea of like self-care, um, it's kind of become such so word buzzword, so to speak, in recent years. What do you feel is one of the biggest misconceptions misconceptions about self-care? One of the things I think is really important to think about, because we're talking about historical context, we've been talking a little bit about that earlier. So what is the self-care terminology? When we look at the history of American culture and then the history of um, rising costs of living, um, decreased salaries, globalization, it's interesting that you see as that as that begins to escalate, as becomes as the rent gets too damn high, as the, as as a gap between the rent and actually um, what is paid, as the jobs move overseas because of globalization, all of a sudden this self care concept emerges, right? In American culture, and it emerges because what's happening is the people the expectations to survive and maintain have increasingly become unrealistic for anyone. Right. And so self-care kind of emerges as this kind of response to as opposed to the systems are inadequate. The systems are not paying people enough money to survive and thrive. People have to have two or three jobs. The expectations of labor at the jobs are unrealistic and dangerous and toxic. As opposed to that, we see okay. Right. Because that is a more feasible vehicle for white supremacy, right? You know, quite frankly, it's like it's easy to say, you just need to take a walk and eat an apple, girl. It ain't nothing about the fact that you work 80 hours a week. Just eat an apple and get some sleep, you know? And so here we have self-care really offered as a solution and not a good solution, right? Not a systemic, not a structural solution. And also in the tradition of neoliberalism, an individual solution. It's your fault, Right? Not your fault. It's not. It's not. Not the fault of the system that you can't afford childcare. No, it's your fault that you can't get sleep. Not the fault of the medical system that you can't get, like you know, the preventive care. It's your fault because, and that is the dangers of self care as a framework because it blames us as opposed to holding responsible systems that have failed and are continuing to fail our communities. Right. So I want to hold that piece, even as I hold, and hold both of them. I'm gonna hold that and also hold that we have been taught by American culture as black folks, as black queer folks, black women, black trans folks, black disabled folks, that our bodies and our hearts and our minds are secondary to our production, to how much we produce, to how much we accomplish and achieve. And we are living the consequence of that every single day in our communities, right? When you believe that I need to uh, get 15 degrees or I need to like, you know, be the, the, the star of the show and whatever thing like, and that, that, and that supersedes your desire to honor what your body is telling you, to honor what your heart and your psyche are telling you. And, you know, that is deeply rooted in white supremacy because that's what white supremacy told us, has taught us for years. It's taught us, get back in the fucking field. Who cares about what your feelings are? You better go out and pick the cotton. And so we recreate that in our communities where it's like, just push through. That's what we learned it. We learned it through slave, slavery. We learned keep pushing until you fall out because who told us to keep pushing until we fall out? That was the... 
white people. That's not when we look when we look to Western Africa where we come from, we don't see that in the pre-colonial societies as a concept. People was just chilling. They might go, they're going, look, we're gonna milk, we're gonna milk the goats, we're gonna, we're gonna grow some herbs and shit. We're gonna kick it on a stupid chill. What are y'all niggas doing over here talking about some self-care? What's that? We just chilling. But when you look at slavery, those mentalities have been constantly ingrained and pushed in our communities. And it was how we survived. Because you know, I think about being a parent during slavery, right? Even like, you know, post-slavery era, like reconstruction era, right? To tell, we didn't have the tools to tell our children, or give our children space sometimes to say, it's a space to express your feelings of sadness and despair and rage. That it's okay to feel those things. We didn't have those tools. Our parents and great-grandparents didn't have those tools. The tools we had were suck it up and keep going. We got that from the plantations. But that was all we had. And so it's our work as black folks to get us new tools. That's the work of being. It's like, we got new tools, but there's a whole new thing over here. Let's, let's try to use this. And that we, there's a time for us to push hard and to work hard. And there's a time for us to rest and own the full range of our emotionality. That all of that can coexist. But that is not what our parents saw modeled. That is not what the, their parents modeled often. Like, you know what I mean? It's just not what we've seen in our communities. And so now we have to reinvent or reimagine a new paradigm or uplift the paradigm in the corners of our communities where it has existed. So I guess, I mean, I mean, again, period. But also when it comes to self-care, like, we're, I guess we're being taught, okay, like we need to practice this self-care. What are some, I guess, like what's another term that we should be using or could be using um, to kind of get out of this kind of like white supremacist framework? I encourage community care. I encourage practices where there, you have an accountability partner to help you do that. So for example, I have friends who know that when I walk, when I go for walks and I'm in nature, that it's really good for my mental health. And so they like checking with me, like, we're going to go for a walk every two weeks. So we're going to walk it. What are you going to walk this day? You see, that's community care. Um, community care is, when I look at the models of certain organizations, um, there's an organization called Thrives SS, which supports Black gay men living with HIV. And the entire model is the buddy system. It's like, I got you. You, ain't gotta, you don't have to remember your medications and your daughter's points by yourself. I'm going to help you with that. We're going to help each other. See, I think that what I think that American culture is all about me, 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 me. And then like when we think about but the cultures we come from are not me cultures. We come from when we think about West African cultures, which is the root of you know Afro-Caribbean black cultures in the West, like those cultures are very communal. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's like, are we all right? And like, you know, what I mean? and so I encourage people to think about when you think about what are your quote unquote care practices, how do you bring people into them so they know them? So that when I talk to Amber, Amber's like, Hey, when last time you been to therapy? Oh, wait. Oh, like, you know, I, I know you like to cook because cooking helps you feel good. Come on, I'm going to come over there and we're going to cook tonight. You know? It's about collective support. And that that, we know from the literature, there's so much research literature that just shows that for young people particularly, or for people of all ages, having one consistent person in your life who's present, it doesn't matter. It decreases suicidal ideations in young people. Right? It's just like, you are here and present and consistent and you listen and validate me. Not that you have a clinical degree and you gotta like figure everything out, but you listen, you validate my experience and you partner with me and helping to figure out what the solution is, right? And so I think that that's what I would suggest. I would suggest community care. And to people who are listening, I would say, figure out who your, who your network is, who your folks are, 
y'all get together and be like, we, we actually have a community care map that we actually have a tool on our website. And it's actually, you fill it out. And um, we tell people to fill it out with their friends and their family. And the reason we tell them to fill it out because um, it has a lot of questions on there that people don't know until the crisis. Like, what is the self-care practices that you need? What medications does your friend take? Because a lot of times there's a lot of crises that happen and you like someone's your best friend, but you don't even know they're allergic to this. You don't even know this. And then the crisis comes and we're like, whoa, I don't even know. So planning ahead of time to know those things. They're like, you know, I come to a friend's house and like, I got to watch the kids because she's having an mo emotional moment. But I don't even know the kids. He allergic to carrots and I'm feeding them carrots. Do you know what I mean? These are the things we don't, we need to know. And so that's how we create community care systems and what we have to be really intentional about. I love that. I love it. Uh, <laughs> so are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I think for me, that has been coming up a lot. Um, I think on a personal note, I think the reason why I'm ready to leave New York is simply just because I feel like for the last 11 years, I've been kind of going nonstop and I've gotten to a point where I've been on the marathon. Now, I've stopped before and I'll take like a short break. But I haven't taken a long break to even ask myself, like, do I even like marathons? Mm -hmm. um, so I think for me, I'm finally kind of asking myself, like, do I like marathons? And the answer is no. Um, <laughs> and um, what has been difficult about it is trying to put it into words about, like, what I'm feeling. And right now, for me as a whole, um, my biggest my biggest priority is like my mental and physical health. And getting that to a place where I can even get to a place where I can start to think about what is my career look like? What does my um, romantic or personal life, what is that, what is that going to embody? But right now, I just need to take care of my mental and my physical. Um, <clears throat> so it has been very interesting because I do feel like I kind of use the dream and the career to fuel me through the through that marathon. And I'm finally kind of just understanding that like there's been a little bit of a mourning process of just understanding that like I have to let this process go and I have to kind of um trust that in this new journey of discovering what what my life is going to be now that I know that I don't like marathons. So that's been just interesting, like the way you kind of like said it and the idea of like really going hard, keep going, keep going, keep going. And I think for me for a long time, I've just been trying to keep going and then and not really processing as much. I think now my body is just, my body and my mind are both like, bitch, we need time to process. Time like really process. Yeah, so I'm a firm believer that if you don't, um, if you don't make time for your body to rest, your body makes time for you to rest. Yep. When your body does it, it ain't cute sometimes. It'd be like, oh girl, you ain't resting? Ha ha, we got something for that, you know? 
We have time for that. Um, so it's like you have to really be mindful of that piece, you know. Um, one other piece I was thinking about too is this really important concept. There's this concept called John Henryism, and um, a lot of black psychologists will talk about John Henryism, and it's essentially this um, there's a scale they use to kind of measure this construct. It's John Henryism, this idea that like black people have to go the harder you go, the more you'll be able to persevere and win. And so there's been a body of research that shows that black people who report high degrees of that also report higher degrees of hypertension, of psychological distress, of like, you know, those pieces, which makes sense, right? Because like, just like you were saying, Savoy, I've learned that too. Go hard or go home, right? Keep on hustling 24-7. Capitalism loves nothing more than that. Like, you know what I mean? It loves that. And it, and it, and it loves, all, just like the self-care kind of thing, it loves that the hustle is the question as opposed to change these systems so I ain't got to hustle every day. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Change the systems so I don't have to, like, you know, have four or five jobs. Or even the ways in which we glorify, you know, I really struggle with what we glorify, going back to Black women, we glorify Black women's um, exploitation of labor. Like, we'd be like, well, my mom worked four jobs and took care of, like, okay, so one, I want to pay much love and appreciation to your mother. And nobody should fucking have to do that. We do not celebrate that. We can celebrate your mother for her wonderful contributions and like grateful, but we also should be very pissed that there is a culture in a world where anybody had to do that. That's not acceptable. That's not to be celebrated. And I think we have to make that distinction. It's not being mad at her. She did what she had to do. She should not have had to do that. You know what I mean? And I think that's the piece when we talk about John and Henry's and those things we have to like pull apart a little bit. Yeah. I also think like this idea that's coming up now, this like black excellence is also really um, hard to deal with a lot of times. And that's something that I talk a lot about in therapy, Um, this need to be excellent um, when sometimes I just want to be Um, and and just kind of like fighting those things because it because we've been taught that black one black excellence is something that you know will help us when it comes to racism or it will help us when it comes to you know people look at you differently if you are excellent you have like in order for you to like succeed you have to be excellent you can't just be like mediocre or whatever or yourself and so i think that's like I think that's one thing that I just like really have been like grappling with this year specifically is like fuck black excellence in this, in this way. Like I love like black people and they don't have to be excellent for me to love them. Mm. They are like, I don't also have to be excellent to be like of worth. Mm. Like I'm just like Mm. really trying to like, break down those thought patterns because it's something that we hear all the time and it's something that we like praise a lot you know but it's also really confining and constricting when it comes to like me when I'm like oh I I gotta be excellent I gotta be perfect I gotta I gotta I gotta do all this shit you know like and and I grew up in a household where it was like you have to be like that and and I understand why they thought that because it we, we technically do. We live in a very racist society. But I'm also like, well, fuck this. Like, I'm not doing this no more. <laughs> like, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. So I definitely resonated with a lot of what you had to say and just wanted to, you know, bring up that Black excellence piece. I think that's an important piece to bring up. You know, we have it. 
as black folks, I feel like we are still learning how to celebrate ourselves and not shame. Mm. You know, um, shame has been such a central organizing force of many institutions in the black community for so long that we really don't always know how to organize ourselves when that is right. And so when I think about shame, I think about the black church, which often uses shame as the catalyst for you to get to church, right? Um, it is at the core and the heart of that institution. It's like, you are not worthy. You are sinful. Your body is this, you know, whether you're queer, straight, whatever. It's about shaming you. Why you ain't been to church? Not, not why isn't the church serving my needs spiritually or emotionally, but why ain't you been to church? You know what I mean? Because you should be here regardless of what this institution's failures are, right? And so shame as a central organizing force shows up in a lot of different places. And it shows up also in that black excellence frame, right? It's like, shaming because you don't show up in this kind of blackness you know what i mean like you are no longer in like if that then you are no longer um you're not black excellence and, and black excellence having these really kind of rigid parameters that are really deeply steep, steeped in where i say it the harlem bourgeoisie i'm going to cut us off again um you know, <laughs> i want to get a cut off they would be like oh he don't need it again girl cut it cut the feed cut the feed cut the feed, cut the feed. <laughs> Um, everyone gets in trouble again, but you know, it's really, it's really situated in those classes and elitist themes that like, we have to perform that kind of blackness to get acceptance for white society, as opposed to what are our values? What do we celebrate? And how do we celebrate that in a way that doesn't invoke those elitism, that those anti-black concepts, you got to figure that out. You know what I mean? I think we're going to be struggling and figuring that out for a long time. You know? Yeah. Ooh, man, oh man. <laughs> I hope we do get to a space where we do. I think I think coronavirus has like highlighted a lot for all of us and highlighted like how these systems are very fractured. And I think we are living with specifically with like millennials and Gen Z, um, even some of like Gen X. I think we're all kind of like, all right, we don't want to continue living this way. We need to figure out something different. And so I, I do have actually have a little hope for the future um especially like with organizations like beam like i feel like these are the these are types of organizations that are going to help our communities and help us be stronger help us like in the future like i hope like 20 30 years from now like our kids are talking about like their feelings more openly or like talk like saying fuck black excellence or something like that like you know like i just i hope that they can just like be i'm, I'm really hoping that and i think that like us as adults and us as elders will help to achieve that so i'm excited about that i think it's also important to think about when the whole idea of black excellence understanding that black folks in general just have duality so like literally you can do, do one thing and still be black excellence and it doesn't mean that you have to like it what you don't have to give up one to be the other right i would i would i would extend it uh, add to it and say yes throughout but multiplicities we have we are very nuanced and complicated human beings like all and so there's many facets and parts of who we are and how we show up in the world and so i think that's really important to name, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so 
As someone who works in advocacy and fights for the rights of so many marginalized groups, how do you confront or deal with your own toxicity or biases? And do you feel the need to be perfect? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, uh, so at Beam, we have this we have this um, belief, this kind of core assumption that we do with all of our trainings. And the core of the assumption is we don't ask the question if you are racist, homophobic, or transphobic, or sexist. And that's a really silly and a useless question. What we think is a more useful question is, where is the racism, the transphobia, the sexism, the misogyny that you learned all your life as a person living in this culture showing up in your behavior, ideas, and choices? So don't ask if it's there. That's ridiculous. None of us are exempt, regardless of our moral compass or whatever we think we are, from embodying misogyny and transphobia and sexism, because those ideas and concepts are at the core of American culture and society, right? So we're not exempt, but the question is, where is it? And how is it showing up? And I think it's important for us, you know, as black folks to think about it, not just in relationship to, um, you know, how white people treat us, but in relation to how we treat each other. I talk to black queer men all the time, and I tell them that the black queer men, your ability to denigrate and deny and dismiss other black women based on their body parts and based off their sexual performance is so deeply about your anti-blackness and your internalized racism. So much of some of the spaces that we create sometimes, because sometimes I look at some of these apps, I'm like, oh, this is the auction block, but it's an app. Like, you know, you think about the auction block, it's like you measure the dick. This is a good dick right here. It's seven feet. Mm-hmm. And look at the ass. Oh, turn it around. That's a good. It's like, we, we, we have reinstituted this idea that like our bodies are how we are valuable, our sexual performance is how we are valuable, and that's kind of the crux of it. You know what I mean? And we're all guilty of it. I stand, I stand accused and also on the plate of it, right? Of doing it, right? And Amen. So, Amen. So, so it's important to name that like um, we all have it. And so I'm not, right? And so for me, it's about constantly reflecting and evaluating my behaviors and choices and also creating a space where people can come to me and talk to me. I think one of the things that's really hard is that, you know, when your platform grows, um, sometimes you will be surrounded by people who will shield you from responsibility and accountability. And that's one of the most dangerous things I see happen to so many people I love who really are well-intended, but now they're in a circle of yes people and not in a circle of people who are like, that's a fucked up choice you made. Right, you know what I mean? Like, and I think that that's that's how we get Trumps and other toxic leadership. Why we get Cosby's? Because there are not because the people are around them are not like, wait a minute, hold on, sis, because there's implications, right? Like, you know, R and R Kelly. When we look at our you know, finding R Kelly, all those men and women knew, they knew, and there's many in our communities who know now. And so I think that um, that's really um, important. And like, even now there's this um, you know, controversy going on in the dance community around this one black queer man who, you know, um, basically like, you know, sexually assaulted several young black gay men, right? And so we know, and we're not exempt. And we need to have folks around us who can hold us accountable, uh, create space for us to hold ourselves accountable and be held responsible um, for the ways in which our biases and our stuff shows up. And so that's one thing I try to do um, and it's rough some days. I feel like I'm, I'm harder on myself probably than most people are on me, you know? Um, but um, yeah, people, when people, I want to be really pre- really clear about like, you know, if there is something that I have done, a behavior that I have embodied that is not, that needs to be challenged, come tell me. Because the way you show love to me is not by blind allegiance. 
not by it's by saying i believe the love is shown when someone comes to you and say hey yolo i see your behavior showing up in ways that are creating harm i'm going to support and work with you to change those and address that that's love to me love isn't i'm gonna I'm pretend like yolo can't be possibly do harm or the savoy can't possibly talk that's not real that's not love that's denial you know and so really trying to do that is really a big part of my work um not trying to be perfect just trying to own when I mess up and own my failures. Because I think I think perfection is, is, is also a tool of white supremacy. It's like, I really would rather have the emotional courage to just take ownership mm. than try to live out here and pretend like I got it all together. Because that's just, it's always going to fall apart. I love that. I needed to hear that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait, Savoy, are you muted? No, you're not. Okay, you're not muted. Now you're muted. Okay. Okay, I can hear the snaps now. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, I guess this could be our last uh, Cray question, but um, what has your 30s taught you about love, loving yourself? Yeah, I, I would say in short, um, it's taught me that my relationship with myself is the first relationship I need to really nurture and support. Mm. My relationship to my emotions, my relationship to my feelings, my relationship to my body, that all things spring forth from that. And while I'm not responsible for all of the themes and things that I've learned that have cultivated that relationship, I am responsible for how that relationship moves forward. You know what I mean? Like there were things instilled in me before I had a cognizance to understand. But now that I do understand, it's my responsibility to build that relationship. So like whether that shows up in how I talk to myself, you know, and realizing that why am I my biggest hater in my head? That's not okay. You know, well, how do I make, how do I develop the emotional capacity to make that voice in my head um, responsible but soft and loving at the same time. What does that look like? How do I practice that? Practice and fail, pick back up, try again. Um, that's been a big part, I'll say, my 30s. I love that. Oh, that. There's one thing that I just, like, recently, uh, and I saw this on Twitter, and somebody was basically like, um, I think there was, it was a tweet that says something like, don't use therapy in hopes that like the reward will be a relationship. Hmm. Um, and I was like, when I saw that, I was like, Oh my goodness. And I don't necessarily think I was like looking for a relationship as like a reward per se, I but I definitely think that like, I, would you say? I said, well, I was, but go ahead. I'm glad that's good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you figured I, that out. <laughs> Cause I did not. I, no, no, no. I was, but I was looking for it like, oh, once I do therapy, then I will become perfect. Mm -hmm. Then I will become, I will have a better job. I will, you know, have better, like, uh, relationship with my family. I guess, I guess it was relationships, but I wasn't thinking like romantic partnership. And so like, I'm, I, I, I think that's something that I just like recently learned. And I've been hearing a lot about that. It's just like trying to like get better and heal because I want to heal, not because I'm thinking I'm going to get something at the end of, you know, my healing process. Mm -hmm. um, 
So that's one thing that I learned that I liked. That just reminded me. What you just said just reminded me of that. So. I love that. I, I appreciate you lifting up because a lot of people think that. They think that, like, once I, that I, that I think that uh, one of the pieces that um, I often tell people is that we are worthy of love as we are right now. There's nothing we need to do to be worthy of love. We are worthy as we are right now. Therapy, healing work, helps us step and be in that more, right? Like, you know what I mean? Helps us examine the, the choices, the behaviors, the ideas, etc. that get us away from that. It does not make us more worthy of love. We already, are, we, just like we are already whole, we are already worthy of it. It's just sometimes we self-sabotage or we make choices we don't recognize that are not helping us get to what we, the love that we say that we want. Or we're not even clear about the love we want because we've been fed a vision of what love has to look like that is not conducive to our character and our personality, right? So we have to figure that part out. I think that's what therapy is about. That's what healing work is about. Um, not about, um, you know, uh, molding ourselves somebody else's vision. I've definitely been molding myself. Like, I promise you, who, my parents' vision, my friends' vision, everybody's vision except my vision. You ain't and alone, I'm honey. tired, you know? <laughs> you are not alone. <laughs> I'm not alone. Yeah. Y'all ready to uh, have sex now? Natural progression. We have now natural progression. All right. So we we you know right now we just at the point where the clothes are just starting to close come off. Um <laughs> Maybe a little nipple play. Uh, <laughs> if your sex game was a were a yoga pose, what would it be? Cobra. Who? Cobra. Cobra. Okay, hold on one second. Let me. I'm googling. Yeah. <laughs> Cobra pose. I want to see. Okay. Okay. Let's look at the benefits. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, I there's, see it. There's so also there's, there's many variations of cobra pose too, but I'm so I'm not sure which one you're seeing. I think the traditional cobra pose is like um, you know you're like you're like, you're like seated up, <laughs> right? Yeah. But um, cobra pose also has a lot of benefits to you know, that region of your back and your body. It's, you also you know I'm a yoga teacher, so I'm thinking about this a little bit more complicated. So I apologize. Mm -hmm. for that. But um, that's how we ask. It's a it's a great <laughs> it's a great restorative. Uh, for example, if you have, if you're trying to build up your energy or your or your strength in that region of your body, your pelvic area, it is a great tool, right? To ease or to relax those muscles, to strengthen those muscles. Um, there are different variations of it, so that's what I would say. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> I see All it. I, I see it. All I thought when you said relax those muscles was Monique. You just need to relax the muscles. Oh, so <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Um, okay. Um, when do you feel your sexiest? Mm, I thought about this question when you said it. I was like, that's such a great question. You know, it's really weird and maybe it's cliche to say. I feel like it's very cliche to say, but I want to say it. You know, I thought about when I feel my most sexiest, and um, I don't know if it's because I live in New York and I feel like I got this New York thing in my spirit, is when I got a fitted cap on. When I'm like in a tank top 
and some J's and I'm just kicking it. Like that's when I feel most genuinely sexy. Like I feel like I'm in my shit. You know what I mean? Not because that has commentary about what my gender position and all that bullshit, because that's bullshit. But it's just like that's just how I feel sexy. It's not necessarily like I feel like people say those things and you're trying to like say, oh I'm a top and I'm a this and I'm this. I'm not trying to say all those things. I'm trying to say that like regardless of those things, um, that's how I feel sexy. Okay. <laughs> Come on with your tanks and your J's. You fit it. Don't forget to fit it. <laughs> it's so cliche, I know, but I was like, I think that's really real for me in many instances. It's very funny. I love it. Um, you've mentioned that like spending time thinking about what we project onto sex is a powerful exercise. Why should we find this important, and what? have you learned about sex and your sexuality in this exercise? Yes. Ooh. I think if the world took a moment to think about all the things we project onto sex, it would just shift reality as we know it. You know, I've been in relationships where I projected onto sex that my ability to perform in sex is my self-worth. Mm. That I am either adequate or useful or good based on how good I can have sex or how many sex partners I have, um, which I think is a very common thing. You know, like, you know, I hear many men and many folks, but people like, you know, I don't slept with this. this and sometimes it's braggadocio to kind of um, make ourselves feel good about ourselves or cover up a, a feeling of insecurity that we might all share and have. And I definitely have been guilty of doing that, you know. Um, but I think when we project, we project long sex, we project on sex that like, that sex means love, that sex, that sex, that if I'm with someone and they have sex with somebody else, that's a violation of me. I'm like, well, that actually got shit to do with me. That's a violation of your contract with me, which has something to say about your integrity. But actually, you having sex with that person does not say anything about me. It's not about me. Your choice reflects you. Because you didn't have the character to come to me and say, I'm not getting my needs met or I feel like I want to have sex with other people. So that's about you. And so I think we project that on the sex. I think we project, um, you know, a lot of our shame on the sex. That, like, um, people's sexual choices uh, are supposed to have these broader psychological um, um, inferences, right? Some people think that, um, you know, like, in, in a quick community, it's like, oh, you are bottom or you're top. So, like, that, people try to ask those questions because they want to get, figure out, how do I relate to you now, like, in the world? Cause like I'm, cause I'm not just making an inference about the fact that you take a penis or you do, or you do whatever you do. I'm making inferences about your gender performance and how you are in the world, which ain't got shit to do with shit, right? You know what I mean? And so I think there's a lot that we project on the sex, and I think that when we start thinking about what that is, we find a way to cultivate um, sex lives that make us feel good, not just make other people feel good, not just um, that help us become embodied as opposed to disembodied. You know, one of some things I worry about with a lot of young people, um, who, young black queer people and black queer men particularly, they talk to me about, you know, using all these um, different kind of things to numb themselves during sex, right? Like, there's like, so particularly about anal sex. And I was really like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Like, God, I numb myself. And I was like, okay, so you can't feel anything. No. So why are you having sex if you can't feel anything? Is this about your body and your sexual desire? Or this is about your performance for this other person? and giving them what they need. Are you getting pleasure from that? No, I'm not. So why are you numbing? You know? And so like, and it's one thing to say, I want to offer this as a one-time thing to somebody, but it's another thing to say that like, this is the consistent practice because I don't enjoy when you are inside of me. 
because you don't sorry <laughs> you don't pleasure me you know and so i think that those are the conversations we've got we need to start having around sex i want to encourage us to have to think about like you know if i'm having sex i want to feel something uh, i think i do most people some people you do ever it was like me yes <laughs> raising my hand and so i think we have to really yes you know and so thinking about those things and pulling that back and our shame around, you know, the fact that we want to have sex with people, different people, maybe, do, you know, there's a lot of shame on sex, you know? Um, you know, I've been in dynamics where, you know, I knew a person, I was like, you're not monogamous. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm monogamous. I was like, you think you are, but your behavior is a little bit more blurry. <laughs> the shame prevents us from stepping into that. Shame says I can't be in my truth. Whereas when we move out of shame, we can say, this is what works for me. You are more than welcome to join me in this journey. But if you don't join me in this journey, I'm going to also survive it and be fine. Mm. So what's your ideal? Do you even have an ideal romantic partnership? And have you ever had it before? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I definitely have and have had and have um and i think for me it's just a, a relationship romantic um where we have clarity about our roles about what not our roles about how we are in relationship to each other with clarity and that where we center our needs and we center being well as opposed to center performance for other people because i've been in the relationships where i'm on instagram and you're like and i'm like i hate this motherfucker but you know you smile in the picture like you know what I mean? like you know i've been there you know we all have and we, I, and I know those couples who used to be like, girl, these girls just got done. I just picked these girls up from the police office. The police pulled from the police for domestic violence. Y'all on the ground, smiling and grinning like y'all was at the pool. Like, what is going on, sis? You know? Hashtag couple goals. <laughs> you know? You know? Hashtag bad marriage for life. Oh, my God, Jesus. I was like, ah, 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 that's the hashtag. Ah, I was like, I that wasn't triggered ready. me. It was, it was, I, was, I, was I was very curious. I had questions. I was like, can we talk? Come come back. Come back. I was like, Let's bring this back. Like y'all know y'all don't have to do that, right? Y'all don't have to be in this. And maybe that's um, maybe there's a context that we don't know for that. I mean, I thought about true. that. Probably is a joke, maybe like a joking funny, but I was like, it was an interest I would have been helpful to have context. Maybe they will clarify that. I was tr thinking of it like, you know how Roxanne Gay has bad feminist? Oh, yeah. Like, I was thinking of it more in that sense. Yeah. Like, maybe it's that. I was hope I'm hoping it's that. I'm that hoping. That makes so much sense. I love that. I appreciate I'm it. hoping. I'm hoping. Can I, I get some clarification? What exactly does that mean? So, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. So, um, Roxanne Gay uh, has this uh, book called Bad Feminist. And with Bad Feminist, she's basically saying that, like, as she's not going to be like your perfect feminist feminist. So, like, she's not, she might be someone who is very, because being femme can be considered like bad feminism or like, you know, even having like relationships with men or like, you know, wearing certain types of clothes. There's a lot of rules and restrictions when it comes to, you know, the idea of feminism. And she, even though she believes in the ideals of feminism, she could be looked at as a bad feminist. When in actuality, there shouldn't be like, there, there, 
there shouldn't be like these strict at least like roles that you have to play when it comes to feminism and so i'm thinking that with the bad marriage mm-hmm. we all have like these ideas around marriage about what it should be what it should look like all this stuff and so to I guess a person who's trying to adhere to those roles, they would look at the Smiths and be like, this is a bad marriage, but really it's what works for them. That's what I'm hoping they meant. I, I think that's, I think that's what they meant, Amber. Okay. I think, All you're, right. I think okay. you're right on the money. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. We don't, we don't say that. But I it was, it had to, just to be facetious. Like, I really think that's what they meant. Okay. Okay. Because it was jarring hearing it, you know. I was like, whoop. And a whoop. But yeah. Um, you brought up, okay, so you did bring up, like, um, people <laughs> taking pictures after they just probably fought. Um, let's, I mean, I know this might be weird for me to ask this, but, like, let's talk about, like, sexual harassment in specifically in black queer spaces like what what is i don't is that something that is talked about is that something that we need to talk enough about like talk more about um your thoughts around it yeah i've been very public about my experience a few years ago with the person who was struggling with abusive behaviors right and um and also sexual harassment i've written and talked about that a lot too um it is very common in black queer communities amongst black queer men, black women, black non-binary folks. It's very common. Um, I think in black queer men and, and male projected folks, there's this assumption that um, men always want sex, right? And queer men particularly always want sex. That's the assumption. And so when you have that assumption, uh, consent doesn't really, isn't an equation. Right. Like, you know, um, and so I think it, it is it, it is a very rampant problem. It's a problem because many people are, you know, um, have been assaulted, have been hurt and raped and, and, and don't feel comfortable coming forward with that because that is seen as something is shaming. And like, right, there are, in our community as a whole, we, our relationship to sex has been so under-examined except for as a strategy to say, put your sex out there and embrace your sexuality. And I always tell people that sometimes people think they're like, oh, he, she, they doesn't have any shame. Their sexuality is all on the Instagram. I was like, y'all need to, y'all need to learn about how shame shows up, sweetie. The shame does, because sometimes shame is actually a driving force to push yourself out there more hard, right? It's not, ju- it's not just the people who are cloaked up in, ch- in church who got shame. That's one way shame could show up, absolutely. But shame can also show up as that I'm the girl that's always talking about sex and interjecting it without consent to anybody, to everybody. That's how shame could show up too, right? Um, and I think we just have a lot of hurt and pain around it. You know, um, a lot of hurt and pain about how people are related to our bodies, about how hurt and pain about people disrespected our bodies, trans bodies, queer bodies. And so, um, you know, I, I, and so I think that um, it is a big, continues to be a big issue. I want, I'm looking forward to the point where we have a big conversation in LGBT communities about consent uh, and really have a heart space for to talk about sexual violence and harm. And um, we have not come to that moment yet, um, unfortunately. And that's one of my, you know, one of my, one of the things I really want to see happen. Um, well, we can, you know, I think about Adrienne Marie Brown's work, Pleasure Activism. She talks about, you know, pleasure and consent. It's a great book. 
I recommend it to everybody. But he talks, you know, Black woman is a collection of essays by Black feminists talking about pleasure activism. It's like, we're going to celebrate pleasure, but to celebrate pleasure, we got to talk about sexual violence and consent and know that certain things are not acceptable. And I, and I think that Black queer men and many male projected folks, we got some work to do around that. I'm about to read that book. Good. Good. <laughs> I'm good. literally like ordering it like right now. <laughs> One of my favorite books I've read actually this, um, this year, I was like, wow, this is really great. It was really helpful for me in learning how I relate to pleasure. You know, this question she asked you, and I was like, what? Like, you know, like I had just never thought about around pleasure. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was really good. Um, just going, I think, to go back to the idea of like, in the Black queer, especially the male community, I think under the idea of like treating um, each other based on how big your ass is, how fat your dick is, stuff like that. I guess for you, how did you get to a space where um, I guess sexually or physically you felt like I'm enough? I'm not this or that. I'm not my fat ass, my fat, and, and all these different things. Well, I don't think I got there. I think I have moments in which I am there and moments in which I'm not. Mm. I don't think it's a fixed destination. There are days in which I'm like, yeah, I'm very confident and present in that. And days when I'm not, when the insecurity arises, when the hurt arises, when the things that people have said to me in the past about my body come back up, right? So I think for me, like thinking about what we talked about with the healing journey, the healing journey for me is just constantly, not constantly, but like the ongoing acts of embracing that when it comes up and working through it and being gentle and tender with myself through that, you know? So it definitely, I don't definitely feel like I've arrived. And people often ask me the things like, how did you arrive at emotional health? I was like, first of all, niggas, I have not arrived knowing. I'm, real, I'm on the same train with you. I might have had the opportunity to on the A train get a different tool or a different metro pass, but I'm still on the fucking train. Like, you know, with every damn body, right? And and like, and I think that's that's really important to name that I, I you know, I don't think it's about arrival. I think it's just about the journey. You know, like, I think about Michelle Obama saying, constantly becoming, constantly becoming. Hmm. Or Tisha Campbell, who said, it's the journey. It's the journey. <laughs> you is a fool. You is a you is a fool. <laughs> Tell me, Tisha. Ooh, love her. Okay. Amber, you want to anything? Oh, sorry. I literally went to go buy the book. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, describe your last hookup in three words. Oh, my God. Um, more to be desired. <laughs> damn. Mm. Damn, damn, damn. Was this during COVID? No, I haven't had any. No. Okay. I, 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 I'm going to say no. I'm not going to say I haven't had any. No, it was not during COVID. Okay. This one okay. I'm, the one I'm referring to is not during COVID. Okay. The one during COVID has been good. And no comment at this time. Ah! ah! <laughs> Okay. All right, come on, no comment. We love a no comment. Um, <laughs> our first on record. Um, okay, so um, 
as a mental health professional, do you find that people feel like it's intimidating to approach you in a romantic or sexual manner? Yes, absolutely. I think people are very intimidated by the ideas people have about me. And then people meet me and they're like, you know, it's just like, you know, regular people, like, you know what I mean? But um, sometimes I used to be really uh, concerned about that. And then sometimes I realize that the people who actually want to show up in authenticity will find a way to connect. Mm. And the people who are intimidated, sometimes that intimidation is because they may be clear that maybe a place where they are in their journey isn't a place where they feel like they can really connect with me in a place of integrity, you know? But mm. I'm just I'm just me, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just as flawed and figuring shit out and fuck up things like everybody else. Um, this is my work. But also I tell people like, you know, there's other parts of my life where I'm still growing. You know, a lot of um, not other parts, all parts of my life I'm still growing, but the other parts of my life that may not be as strong as my work in this part of my life, right? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, people are like, oh, so you got everything together. I was like, well, girl, I don't know. I still fucking around with this, this nigga and I'm like, you know what I mean? I still got stuff I'm working, working through, you know? <laughs> like everybody else, you know? What's one thing you wish all black gay men knew about sex slash relationships? Or both? Um, that sex will, sex cannot be your only coping strategy. That sex will not make you whole. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just laughed. <laughs> Listeners, Savoy went out of frame and it was very funny to me. Um, keep going, YOLO. All right. <laughs> Let me put myself on mute. And I think that it's important for people to also know, and this is a really unpopular piece for me to say, is that a lot of uh, Black men, Black queer men, think that Black queer men sexuality is uh, Black men having sex with Black men or men having sex with men is just like this most radical and liberatory thing. And I think as a feminist, I feel very comfortable saying that men have always fucked whoever they wanted to fuck. Whether they've done that in integrity or not is a question. So I don't necessarily believe that it is, it is in of itself a revolutionary act that two black men are doing that. I think what's revolutionary to me is more of the healing work, the healing-centered work, the emotional work, the unseating a massage noir and transphobia. That is what's revolutionary to me. And people often quote Joseph Beam's quote. And I have to remind people that when we start quote people, we need to realize that just like if I was to quote you two from 10 years ago, y'all look back on a quote and be like, nigga, I don't believe that shit no goddamn more. We don't know what Joseph, what MLK, what Toni Morrison, what anyone would say today because people evolve their ideas and their concepts. And so I believe that we have to think about, I, I would want more of us to think about other thoughts around like what revolutionary love looks like, you know, and I, and I, and I you know, I identify as non-binary, even though I'm very clear that I'm a project, I'm, I'm projected as man, people see me as a queer man, I don't have any problem with that, but I see myself as a much more expansive kind of spiritual and gender being, but, um, but um, I've lived and of course grown and raised in black queer men's communities, right? Like, you know, I mean, that culture informs how I move and understand the world as well. So those are some things I think of that I would say. Ooh, that sex isn't a coping mechanism, the only coping mechanism. Where was you at two years ago? Leave me. 
I need to hear that about two years ago. Where was you in 2018 when I was just fucking? And never mind, but you know it's not. Well, if you were having a good time, I don't see no problem. I mean, like, hey, I was having a good time. Let me be clear. I wasn't having a good time. I wasn't. I was fucking motherfuckers. I had no business fucking. I was trying to get. I was hoping that. I was hoping that through fucking, I would get over the heartbreak that I felt about this other person. Um. So yeah, and that's what you need at the time. That's what, and that's what you need at the time. Sometimes you just need to learn, and now you know differently. You may have other. And I want to be careful. Clear that I said that like sex is not the only coping strategy. I yeah. think we need many coping strategies, yeah. as many as possible. Sex. Sometimes we need weed. We sometimes we need yoga, meditation. You might need Christianity, Islam, Buddhism. Honey, find as many as possible. But I think that what happens is when sometimes we get an uneven uh, um, relationship to one of our coping strategies when we rely on one too much. We just need to diversify. We've got to have a diverse portfolio. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so we can go to different things. And I think, but um, we learned that we need a diverse portfolio by sometimes putting too much stock in one. And that's just a part of the process. You know, we just learn. And we have to, and we, and we be compassionate with ourselves. And like, you had to figure it out. I had to figure it out. I mean, we all had to figure it out. We still figure it out. There's no guidebook or playbook for this foolishness. We just got to go through it sometimes. And we got to sometimes fuck that nigga and be like, now what was I thinking? Like, you know what I mean? Like, just to learn. <laughs> this, all been, this has been so many, what was I thinking? And yeah. not enough. I was, I was in a good, I was, I, enjoy, I enjoyed that or that was, that was the right decision. Mm-hmm. But I'm yeah. working. And maybe even beyond thinking, what was I thinking? Thinking about what was I experiencing, or what was happening for me emotionally, physically, spiritually, that was allowing me or encouraging me to participate in this space. You know, so like, what, what was the context for my life? You know what I mean? In that moment, that was leading me to show up and do this, even though this didn't feel good for me. Like, you know, where did I come from? Where did I where did I come from? That idea, that belief, and I think that it's, it's a constant peeling back an onion. Mm. All right. Well, we're done with that. Um, you know, orgasm has happened. Now we're just going to jump into the bird confessions. Okay. We consider this the cuddling portion. Um, <laughs> um, so rapid fire questions. You ready? Uh-huh. Okay. What kind of bird are you? Pigeon, dove, eagle, flamingo, ostrich, Penguin or peacock? Peacock. Okay. Shout out to the peacocks. Um, what would be your stripper name and what would be your go to stripper song? Um, Brandy, do you know what you have here? Ooh, okay. Um, uh-huh. Stripper name would be. Uh, I think about this one. I have not thought about this question when I saw it. Um, Hmm. Let's come back to that. Can I come back, can I come back to that? I can't think of what that is. I can't think of what that that's is. Not, that's, not. Like, that's very important I, to me as someone who loves strippers very deeply. So I, 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 so I can't just I, say, I, say I, you know? Okay. 
All right. I feel like YOLO is a really good stripper name anyway. Because oh, really? it seems like it's one of those things that you only experience one time. <laughs> I can't. You only oh, live once. Y'all are fools. <laughs> Yo. Amber is a marketing guru. Stripper <laughs> <laughs> marketing guru. Listen. Find your stripper name.com. <laughs> nah. Yeah. You only live once. You only Ooh. get the dance once. You are the Jennifer Lopez and Hustlers. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so you are featured on an episode of Maury. What is the show topic? Is he the baby's father? I slept with my best friend's boyfriend, unruly teenager, or I scammed my ex out of thousands of dollars. Give me the episode one more time, please. Okay, is he the baby's father? I slept with my best friend's boyfriend, unruly teenager, or I scammed my ex out of thousands of dollars. Slept with my boyfriend, best friend's boyfriend. There we go. We're just gonna call it. Okay. All right. All right. I'm like, okay, no judgment, no judgment, no, no judgment. <laughs> no, no judgment. No judgment. You know, it, it happens to the best of us. Um. I sucked a married man off on the side of the road one time. So hey. Um okay. All right. All right. What city of love and hip hop would you rather be on? Miami, New York, Atlanta, or Hollywood? Oh my god, all those girls are so much. <laughs> oh God, it's so much. Ooh. It's like, do you want to get shanked? Or do you want to get like, you know, I, I think Miami, because I'm, you know, I was born for a lot of them. So Miami, I kind of, I get it more. And Miami, I'm like, I know who I would fuck with in this crew. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I kind of get it more. <laughs> so yeah, I'll say Miami. Okay. Your dream trade can only possess one main attribute. A grill, a nice car, a neck tattoo, a regular weed habit, or a regular weed habit. Wait, a regular weed or weave? Weed, weed. Oh. Um, so a grill, a nice car, a neck tattoo, or a regular weed habit. This is your dream trade. Oh, that's hard. You know, this, I'm a Libra, y'all. I know I can't make no choices like this. Um, I, I'm going to lean towards... I'm going to say neck tattoo. Let's get neck tattoo. We see each other. Um... I still remember this man. He had a face tattoo. And I've never been attracted to the man with face tattoos, but there was something about his face tattoo. I was like, you gonna you gonna spin in my butt. And that that's the kind of that's the kind of man I deserve. Um so speaking of that, would you rather have someone spit in your mouth or your butt? I'm not a spit person. Okay. All right. Yeah, All right. I'm not a spit person. So I, I actually have had to like yeah, I'm not a spit person. It's, I always tell people that's one of my it's one of my pieces. If you spit on me, I can't promise that you won't get a hook to the left. Okay. Left. All right. <laughs> As, look. Give me your truth. Um, <laughs> would you rather long nails, a long weave, or long eyelashes? You're a bird. Keep this in mind. Long weave, long long nails, or long eyelashes? Eyelashes. Yeah. Okay. So heavy ones. Come on. Um, your celebrity capsule collection would be with Fashion Nova or Pretty Little Things. I don't know what Pretty Little Things is, so I'm gonna say Fashion Nova. 
Okay. All right. Um, is Pretty Little Thing Sweetie stuff? Sweetie's thing she throws? Is that what Pretty yeah, Little Yeah, ours was with, with, with Pretty Little Thing. Oh, I like Sweetie. I like her. And, I don't, okay, so, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say, the Fashion Nova has questionable practices in terms of like their um, factories. I don't know what Pretty Little Things gives. So I'm going um, so to stick with Fashion Nova. I just stick with it with the hair. And you're a bird, so you can be slightly problematic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Um, last one. Who is the most iconic thought of all time? Oh my God. To you. I mean, that's a very difficult question. So, like, you know, I am my president is um Megan the Stallion, as you all know. That is my president. Um, but I also respect the historical context of the of, of Kimberly, who made a Megan possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So both of those, Kimberly has been very integral to my development as a person. Um, I think that Dang. Megan was integral to my solidification of my truth as a person. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, so I would say those two, those two. Okay. All right. All right. So now we're just gonna jump into Zaddy a week. This is one, um, one man that we are crushing on at this mo- at this very moment. You asking me? Yeah. So you, well, you, I can go first. You go I'll first. Go first. Go okay. First. I will go first. Um, so I watched yesterday. I was watching a different world. So I have two. Um, I have Bumper Robinson, um, who will always be my daddy um, in my head, and then Kadeem Hardison. Those are my my zaddies of the week. Classic, classic, classic early 90s, late 80s, early 90s trade. I feel that. Okay. Um, So we going, if we're going there, I'm going to (laughs) do, I think it's, I don't know his full name, but I always think of him as homeboy from Minister Society with the big lips. Yes. Tyan is his name? Yeah, I think so. When I tell you this man could have all of me, like, all of me. And is he dead? Hold on one second. We about to see. Is Tyan dead? We can't. (laughs) Menace to society. Oh, Tyran. It's Tyran. Yeah, Tyran Turner. Oh, he not he's dead. Still, no, he's still alive. What he look like now? Um, according to this video, he still look good. He kind of still look kind of good. Yeah, he, he still have all of me back in the day. Mm. Back in the day. Back in the day. Ooh, Tyran, Tyran Turner. Mm. Oh. So I guess I have three. One will be um, Daryl Stevens, you know, who plays Noah on Noah's mm-hmm. song. Mm. He's really high. Aldous Hodge. Mm. Oh, yes. Aldous looked like he got one of them dicks that just, it just, just, ooh, he smacked me in the face with it. It's just chocolate. I think Aldous and Daryl are definitely probably my two. And then I also love, I also kind of have a question on Night, kind of. I love Hassan Minaj, who does the Patriot Act. Oh, he is so fine. Oh. Yeah. 
Oh, I like, yes. I like men who can explain things to me and talk to me smart. <laughs> That's pretty much all that he does. Like, you know? He is so fun. It's cute. He needs to hire more people of color and black people on the show. Oh, I didn't know that. I know. But sorry, sorry. I just had to say, I'm I'm in the late night world and it's, you know, that's what we're talking about right now. So. Oh, that's a really good... I'm but he's sad. fine, though. I'm sad to hear that he's not hiring a lot of black people on the show. That's not okay. But people of color, considering all his platform. Mm. Yeah. No, but he's still, he's a good looking man. Yeah. All right. So next we're going to go into our bad bitch hall of fame. This is one woman who we feel like deserves her flowers and has not received them. Or you would like just, it isn't necessarily that they haven't, but you would like to present them with them fl- their flowers. So for me this week, I am going to go with Michaela Cole. Um, I just finished all five episodes. I watched them all <laughs> one night of I May Destroy You. Um, no spoilers, please. No spoilers. No spoilers. Um, I haven't watched it either. So I just think it's very important, the conversation that we're having about the ideas of sexual assault in the Black community as a whole. Um, and I just think that, like, for me, it has... I've never had such an eye-opening experience while watching television. It was very much like, okay, all right, every time. So that is my Bad Bitch Hall of Fame entry. She deserves. Uh, She's dope. And then also um, Drew Dixon, who from the On the Record documentary, which I also had a chance to watch like two, three weeks ago that I actually watched back to back twice. Um, And and I just, if anyone has not watched On the Records on HBO Max, it's um, excellent. Excellent, but very sad. Um, When it's about Drew Dixon, who really um, basically told the world that Russell Simmons is a predator um, and a rapist. So, um, and then also goes into various other women's stories who have been assaulted by him. And it, as somebody who works in the music industry, it was very much like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, shout out to those two women. Yeah. Those are great well, women. Um, mine's gonna. Well, I'm gonna go with because I I started re- I started watching um, RuPaul's Drag Race again. Even though I hate RuPaul, um, but I like Shea Coulee is literally my favorite queen of all time, and I just don't feel like Shay gets like the love and respect that she deserves because she's literally the baddest of all time and everything that she does everything uh, everything that she stands for i just i just fucking love her and she's from chicago and we know we stand a chicago queen around here so um shay you deserve flowers not rose petals because fuck rose petals for life um but i love you so much and you deserve and she's a bad bitch hall of fame for sure. Yo, love your bad bitch hall of fame entry. Who would you I like to induct into the hall of fame? Which is I'm gonna say Jada Pinkett Smith. <laughs> okay, 
Let me tell okay. you. Let me tell you why. Because I'm, I'm while I think it takes a lot of courage to take responsibility to some extent and a public platform about being in a relationship with a much younger person, um, being in a relationship, knowing that you were in that relationship for your own codependency and desire to kind of like mentor and kind of like, uh, you know, also have a sexual relationship with somebody in the midst of that, that power differential, which I know they had to know was going to be exposed. Um, to feel yourself as, 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 um, as having made those choices, you know, and also even if, even to, to expose yourself to a public that wasn't going to be sympathetic, that wasn't going to be compassionate, that wasn't going to be well-rounded in their analysis or of the understanding of what it means to be in a relationship, you know, and to also do it by trying to uh, not clearly state what it was and call it an entanglement, you know. Those are all um, hall, of, hall of Fame for me, for Jada, because I think that even though she is imperfect, that, and even though, you know, her and Will, of course, they have their challenges, et cetera, and um, I'm not, I, I think that they do offer a model for a different way to be in relationship for folks than what we have seen. Very true. Shout out to all those in entanglement. Uh, <laughs> As always, we end the show with good bussy vibes, which is one quote that I've seen um, that kind of just inspired me or I just enjoyed. Um, and I actually saw this in from Yolo's likes as I was doing research. Um, practicing is the quote is practicing happiness means that I am doing the work trusting myself, and it's by Rod Owens. Once again, practicing. Practicing happiness means that I am doing the work of trusting myself, and it's by Rod Owens. So, yeah. That's good. That's good. Love that. So, thank you, Yolo, for coming onto the podcast. Yay! For just being an amazing guest. Tell us um, what we tell the Bussy Hive where they can find you, what you want them to know, any clothes, promote whatever you want to promote, just really. Give them all the info. All right. Follow me at Yolo Akili, Y-O-L-O-A-K-I-L-I on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can find me. If you want to learn more about Beam's work, you can follow us at underscore Beam, B-E-A-M, org. Also on Twitter, Instagram. Um, and definitely follow us and keep in touch and stay connected. We have a lot of great workshops and opportunities to do healing work, writing workshops coming up, meditation workshops, you know, all really centered in Black folks and a lot of black joy, but also a lot of tools and sharing. So, so I encourage you to check us out and come through. Okay. Awesome. Um, shout out to you once again for being an amazing guest and for giving us so many words. So and, many. So many words. And blessing us with, you know, your greatness. Um, so, as always, Bussy High, we appreciate y'all. Um, we're coming towards the end of the season. We have three more episodes left. Um, we know that this season has been a little chaotic, but you know the world's chaotic right now, so we just are a reflection of the, of the world we're in. Um, 
Um, um, yep. <laughs> but as always, period, Pooh. Um, but as always, we thank y'all for listening and for supporting. Um, we know that we have gotten a lot of new listeners during quarantine. So shout out to all y'all for listening, going back to listen to all the craziness that me and Amber have been providing um, since season one. Uh-uh. And hopefully you've, you've heard the growth. <laughs> and um, yeah, Amber, do you got any closing words? Nah, I love y'all. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Okay. Period. Period. All right. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Bye. 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 <laughs> Thank you.